Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. here with bagpiper Austin Jacobs, who is gracing us with his beautiful bagpiping at the University of Florida Double Read Day. Austin, do you feel that the bagpipes are sorely underrepresented in the Double Read community? Oh, definitely. <laughs> there's, not, there's not a lot of people at this campus, at least, that know how to play. I think there's me and just one other professor that I know of, but uh, definitely we're a, we're a very small breed. What got you into the bagpipes? Uh, so funny story, I was bored on a Thursday night and there were free lessons at my local YMCA. So I started playing there nine years ago. So it's been a very long time coming. And my understanding is that the double reed in the bagpipe is actually somewhere inside. Talk to our listeners about how this works. I don't know what I'm looking at. (laughs) Okay, so you have the bag of the bagpipe. And each of the three drones has a double reed inside that's connected at the bottom of the drone. And then the recorder-like part at the end where you see the bagpiper's hands, that's called the chanter. And the chanter also has a double reed. So you're blowing on four double reeds at once. Yes. So you you have to start on just one double reed. And then it takes you a few years to build up the lung capacity to move up to the four. Wow. So four times two. This is an eight read. <laughs> we got an eight read. <laughs> would you play something for us? Uh, what would you like me to play? Anything. Anything. All right. Okay. okay we're going to have to get some distance. <laughs> joining us Conrad Cornelison, principal bassoon of the Jacksonville Symphony Orchestra. Welcome yeah. to UF Double Reap Day. Hi, how's it going? I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us about your journey to the bassoon? My journey to the bassoon started when I was in third grade. Uh, I'm from a small town in Kentucky and we don't have a local band or orchestra that can come demonstrate instruments for us. So we had a musical instruments of the orchestra day where my music teacher uh, played cassette recordings of each instrument, showed us a picture of each instrument, and gave us a brief description of it. A cassette recording. A cassette recording, that's right. (laughs) I'm really aging myself here. Um, So one of the things that I remembered, I didn't remember how the bassoon sounded, I didn't remember how the bassoon looked, but I remembered that my music teacher described the bassoon as being the clown of the orchestra. 
Uh, so third grade me, being a very devoted, serious class clown, uh, thought that that was just awesome and hilarious. And when sixth grade finally came around and I joined the middle school band um, at Madison Middle School in Richmond, Kentucky, go Panthers, Woo. Um, <laughs> and I had to choose an instrument, the only thing I could remember was the bassoon is the clown of the orchestra. I have to play the bassoon. So I said the bassoon, and my band director was simultaneously confused and thrilled. <laughs> and they had to end up uh, borrowing a bassoon from the local university just so I'd have something to play on because our middle school didn't own one. But ever since then, it was love at first sight, and I'm still doing it today. So how did you find your way to Jacksonville? I found my way to Jacksonville mostly for the orchestra job. So... Uh, prior to me joining the Jacksonville Symphony in 2017, uh, I used to work as the second bassoonist in the Houston Grand Opera. And prior to that, I was in graduate school at Rice University in Houston, Texas. So um, I really enjoyed my time working in the opera. It was a fantastic job, had fantastic colleagues. Um, Houston's a great city. But, you know, the audition came open for principal of the Jacksonville Symphony, and it was something that seemed really interesting to me. So I decided I would take the audition, and I'm very fortunate that I was offered the position, and I've been very happy here since I joined the orchestra. Rumor has it you're married to an oboist. Rumor is true. <laughs> Rumor is true. So I am married to an oboist. Uh, her name is Shaudi Lu. And she's currently on a one-year appointment as second oboist with the Atlantis Symphony. So it's, it's kind of a tragic thing having to do long distance for, for a year. But, you know, we hear very much of each other's reed making and crowing. <laughs> oh, no. and, um, and we even moved into a three-story townhouse so we could have a buffer floor in the middle for oh, each of us are pro. crowing our reeds. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I know way too much about the oboe uh -huh. for, as a bassoonist. <laughs> does she sharpen your knives? She does. Uh, <laughs> I, am, I am not qualified. So stereotypical. <laughs> I am so, so not qualified for that. So what's your favorite thing about playing in an orchestra? My favorite thing about playing in an orchestra, as opposed to playing sonatas or playing solos or things like that, is when I'm playing in the orchestra, I feel like I am one gear in a very large moving machine. And, you know, I still have a solo role as the principal bassoonist. I get to play nice solos. I get to have a, a major contributing voice in the orchestra. Um, but at the same time, you know, I get to have these interactive magical moments with my colleagues on a nightly basis. And um, some of my favorite moments in the orchestra actually are the times when I'm not playing and another one of my colleagues has a solo and I'm able to just sit back and enjoy that and, you know, feel inspired and, you know, feel like it makes me want to be a better artist. On the flip side, do you have any pet peeves within like, let's say orchestra etiquette or if a sub comes in and does something uh, weird? Pet peeves. Wow. Like, uh, what should an aspiring orchestral musician know? Not Don't to do. do this. <laughs> okay. Always bring a pencil. Always make sure you bring a pencil because, you know, it's fine to ask and borrow from somebody. But, you know, I think some people get annoyed with that pretty quickly. I, I don't really mind so much. Um, don't 
turn around and look at people when they're playing solos, even if it's for good reason, even if you think, hey, that person sounded really good. I'm going to go see who played that solo. Um, it can be misinterpreted in a weird way. Try not to, you know, play on your phone and stuff during rehearsal. And I think the most important thing is just make sure that you show up prepared and make sure that you've, you're not sight reading on the job and you show up and um, you have a really strong sense of how you fit into the texture before you join in with everyone else. Great point. We love hearing about people's humiliation. <laughs> it makes us feel better about ourselves. Totally. So do you have any embarrassing moments you would tell us about? Sure. Uh, I'll give you a more recent one, actually. So there was a Pops concert at the Jacksonville Symphony. And the most tragic thing happened, which was that I was playing and my reed decided it was going to fall off of my vocal while I was playing. Um, which happens. Which happens, yeah. right? I mean, you know, I didn't ream it enough. I guess I was in a hurry and it just decided it was going to pop right off my vocal. Just got a ream. Just got a ream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she says like she knows what a reamer is. <laughs> um, so that happened, and it turned out there was a really short, totally non-substantial bassoon solo that was coming up in the music. It was like, you know, a couple notes exposed bassoon, um, but it was enough to have the four letters solo written above it. And this happened, and my reed fell off, and I'm looking around everywhere, and I can't find my reed anywhere. So I I have no idea what happened. It's like it, it disappeared into the netherworld or something. And so I had to grab a dry reed out of my box and dip it in the water real quick and throw it on the bassoon and, and kind of play the solo. And thankfully, everything worked out. Um, but I come to find out later that the reed somehow, through the magic of physics, had fallen off my vocal and into my cummerbund where it was tucked kind of between my belly and the cummerbund i didn't notice it until the intermission and i was walking around i'm like man something feels weird with my cummerbund and i reached in there and it was my read so if you need a good hiding spot for an extra read i highly recommend the cummerbunds region since we're in florida how much would you feed your best read to a gator for I suppose I would feed my best read to a gator for $175. Very specific. I feel like a good read is <laughs> worth more. I don't know. Maybe you're not hard up for good reads all that much. <laughs> well, I, th I guess the problem is I don't, I don't have that many good reads. They're all kind of equally bad. You know? so, <laughs> so it depends so I, how good your best read is. Right, exactly. Right. Or how much money, how much you need the money. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, throwing away my least bad read yeah, would be about 175. <laughs> thank you so much, Conrad. Uh, thank you for fun. having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. have here with us Dr. Leslie Odom, Associate Professor of Oboe and Music Theory at the University of Florida and co-host of the University of Florida Double Read Day. Thank you for being here. Thanks for ha having me and thanks for being here. 
So what was your favorite part about Double Read Day today? I th- My favorite part was when everybody was playing together and it just sounded so awesome. And you just, there was just oboes and bassoons everywhere. It wasn't enough. It was just, you know, I really thought six oboes was my limit, like in a band. But no, today was not, was just perfect. So how many were there? Um, I think there were 20 oboes and three English horns. We can't skip those guys. True. Um, what, 10 bassoons maybe? 12 bassoons and one contra. How's that? That's pretty serious. <laughs> So for our listeners who maybe are just getting to know you through this episode, tell them a little bit about yourself, where you come from, how you came to Florida. Give them some background. All righty. I'm originally from Indiana, and I did my undergraduate at Butler University in Indianapolis and uh, started out as a composition theory major. And when I realized I had to really compose music, I thought, there is no way. So I went second semester right into over performance and then um, did some time at the University of Iowa, um, but didn't get a degree out of there and transferred everything over to Eastman and got my master's in theory from Eastman and my doctorate from Oboe and Oboe. And then when I was looking for a job several years ago, we won't mention how long, there were four jobs open in the country. That was it. And at that time, Nancy King had sewn up the job at Ithaca. And I had burned some bridges out of, out of town on the way out of town at Iowa. And so it was here, and it was um, Ohio University in Athens. And so I interviewed here and got the gig and been here ever since. So that's pretty much Anything else that you need to know about that part? (laughs) What do you love most about teaching? What inspired you to be a teacher? Um, I just really enjoy working with students and I teach, I have a private studio from beginners all through high school. And I just, I can't believe that when I get home after hearing so many oboes and so much music at school, that I go home and teach a private a bunch of private kids and I just, I'm not done. It's like, I still have more to give. So I just really enjoy the teaching interaction, um, seeing success of my students and knowing that I'm a part of their growth, both as a person and a musician. And, um, that's just really what makes it special. But because I also teach theory, I teach sophomore theory, which is the class you love to hate. (laughs) Um, And I just love the sounds in that music that, you know, that's the chromatic chords and all that. And I just really enjoy that. So I know everybody in the school of music except the freshmen. And I'm grad coordinator. So I also know all the grad students. And I think I'm... I have been labeled the social butterfly before, both in my family and in the school. <clears throat> okay, I, I can accept that. <laughs> so um, that's, I don't, I just, I don't know. It's just, I look forward to coming to school every day and seeing everybody. It's just great fun. So if we have any student listeners who are maybe, oh, I don't know 
resentful that they have to take theory and have the perspective of how does this, why does this even matter? I just want to play the oboe. I just want to play the bassoon. Of course, theory in and of itself is important, but how does that inform you as an oboist, your love and knowledge of theory? It helps me find patterns in the music. Um, I have a different approach. I see things a little differently because I have the theory background. So I think it makes it more accessible to me. Um, and I try to share that with my oboe students, you know, what, it, even basic stuff like, you know, what key are we in? But do you see this pattern? Mm-hmm. It repeats it, it's, you know, it's a sequence. You know, why are we in this key? What is that note? Why is that important? And I think that all comes from a, a theory background. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helps you not just technically, but musically play the music the most expressively as as expressively as you can. So if you had one piece in the oboe repertoire that you could throw into the swamp to be chomped up by a gator and never to be heard from again. Oh man. <laughs> what would it be? Oh, one piece I'd love to get rid of. Can it be an orchestral piece? Sure. Can it be an excerpt? Mm-hmm. I'd love to trash La Scala to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I just would like to just, you know, let that, let that bless and release that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's say a gator came up and chomped up all of the oboe repertoire, and you could reach in and save one. What would it be? What would it be? Oh, it would be worth risking a limb to save. <laughs> Nothing is worth risking a limb. (laughs) Have you seen the alligators around this place? And we have alligators on campus. I don't. Oh yeah. I wish we had known that before we accepted this invitation. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, there's there's alligators and they they're on Lake Alice. They're they're like ten footers. No, no. This is not like a joking matter necessarily. (laughs) Um, I I love this piece by Dubois. Um, It's nine sketches. And, I mean, it's just, you know, like half a page, nine little things, and it's just so incredible. So I have a real thing for Dubois, and um, it's just, it's a great piece. I'll have to check it out. You'll have to check it out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So you seem like someone who might have a story or two to share, and we love to hear people's memories, but... Mostly we love to hear people's embarrassing memories. So I wonder if you have an embarrassing moment on stage to share or maybe a concert memorable uh, for a nefarious reason that you could share. Well, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but um, I uh, I went to play the first A in, a t- in an orchestra concert and it squeaked, I squeaked. I wanted the earth to open up and swallow me. And, <laughs> and I, you know, after looking at that reed, I realized the tip was too long and probably, you know, it, oh, it was just like, and the, even the audience laughed. Oh my, oh. God. <laughs> oh my God. Even just thinking about it, it's just like, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> and how did I show my face, you know, to that? So I get very paranoid about giving the the first it's all downhill after the first day it's everything's downhill 
You know, just it's it done you a very firm lesson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's have a yin to the yang. Do you have a memory of a past performance that stands out for a good, memorable reason? Kind of a shining star. Oh, we played Scheherazade this season, and I was just on task and just really playing amazingly. I was just like everything was in the right place at the right time. It really was a great experience for me and it was like yeah that's why we do this mm-hmm. yeah just you know that it excuses that other issue that, <laughs> yeah. we, that everyone probably will remind me about now hey could you play an a let me hear you squeak <laughs> thank you thank you i'm gonna i'm oh. what's your advice for young musicians who want to have a career like yours well the biggest thing is to um realize that you need more strings to your bow so to speak that um you cannot just be an oboe player or a bassoon player. You really need to be able to do other things. So when students come to me, I encourage them to find something else to do. Is it, you know, even doubling on oboe and bassoon, being a double read specialist, um, going and doing music theory as a secondary, doing music history as a secondary? Um, you just, you, it's not enough to just play the instrument well to be at the college level. Um, when you start out at a job, usually it's in a small place, small school where you have to do something else Mm -hmm. and, um, you need to make yourself as marketable as possible. So, um, I think just look at what you're good at and try to, to incorporate all of that into who you are and who you are your persona to the to you your future employers so that that's the biggest thing is just don't limit yourself to just one thing and that's literally why I got a master's in theory was I wanted to be more marketable than the folks who have straight oboe degrees mm-hmm. and and I I know that's why I got this job and so I think that's that's the best thing to do, especially now that everybody's out there. There's tons of people with doctorates. You've just got to be different. Right. And I think technology is real important to know, too, mm-hmm. these days, which you guys are doing an amazing job with this, you know, double read dish broadcast. I mean, you're right on the cutting edge. So con- congrats to you guys oh, for coming you. up with this. Yeah, it's good stuff. And thank you for having us. Thanks for coming. I hope you don't find any alligators. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how do you get two of us playing two? You kill one. What's the difference between an oboe and a bassoon? The bassoon burns longer. So we are here with host Shannon Lau, assistant professor of bassoon at the University of Florida. Whoa, go Gators! (laughs) (laughs) So this crazy day is over. How did you feel after hosting your first UF double read day? I feel um, super stoked and um, also incredibly exhausted (laughs) Uh, just because I was hoping it it would go so well for everybody and um, I wanted everybody to have a good time and I wanted everybody to feel like they belonged and they could participate in some way and um, I think I 
I would call this a, a, a success for yeah, sure. And, sure. And we all got to, I mean, hear amazing things uh, being spoken to these students. And, and I think that just sets them on the right path. And it's so exciting that, like, I was thinking back to this seventh grader that just played her first ever master class. Oh. I'm thinking how much bravery that takes mm-hmm. because there's so much judgment in, like, in music and you're being judged like, to prepare for these competitions or what is it? All state FMEA all state and the solo ensemble. And to just see a seventh grader get up and play in front of everybody and get feedback and then grow and get better because mm-hmm. of it. It's just, it's really awesome. So I'd say today it was successful, super stoked, super excited, but yet incredibly tired. <laughs> I think that was the most double reading I've had in one day in a long time. So I need to do a little bit more of these. I need to get out more, right? <laughs> Shannon, tell us tell us more about your journey. Where do you come from bassoonically? Oh, oh bassoonically. <laughs> great word bassoonically bassoonically you guys I had no idea what a bassoon was when I picked it I oh. I wanted to play the English horn <laughs> so I I don't know how I was a sixth grader and I don't know how the heck I knew what an English horn was but apparently I had it set in my heart I was going to play the English horn and I went to my band director and I said um okay um I'm I want to play the English horn and and he said uh, honey, we don't we don't own an English horn. <laughs> it's either going to be bassoon or oboe if you want something like that. And I said, oh, bassoon, that sounds so cool. I'll play the bassoon. And, and don't call me honey. And don't call me... I, I know. This is a small town. Yes. It, those those back in the day. <laughs> um, and so he gave me a big old case big old wooden awkward case that was so beat up and gave me a book and said I have no idea how to teach this you're on your own great and so I go home to my parents I take the bus home and I we lived on a dirt road and um and my dad was a veterinarian and um my mom um she worked at a local wildlife park a state park as like sort of a like a curator zookeeper type of person and so I was the artsy-fartsy one in my family. Now my brother, my twin brother, delved into music a little bit, but then we went our separate ways. And so, you know, me bringing home the bassoon, my dad just looked at me and he said, oh my God, what did you bring home to us? And we pop open the case. He's like, oh gosh, you could have picked the flute or something. And, and so we, we, we put it together, um, together. And um, I was so fortunate that a young bassoon teacher decided to move to my hometown with her family. She was from Miami and she had a young family. And I guess Miami was where she was living. She wasn't happy with it. And um, they wanted to be close to family, which happened to be in my county. And um, she offered up lessons in the paper, <laughs> oboe, bassoon, and piano. Wow. And my parents, back when you re- read the paper in hard copy form, my parents saw the advertisement and signed me up for lessons right away. They knew that lessons were important. And so from, I start on the bassoon and I had a teacher, maybe it was like the end of my sixth grade year. And I attribute a lot of my success to having that like helping hand so early on. Cause so many students like, from teaching and in Georgia at one point during my career, just there's not a lot of resources in smaller towns. And bassoon, I feel like, is 
well, it's a rare instrument. Actually, the double reeds are rare, rare instruments and instructors that can teach beginners and help them through. That's a, that's a big deal. So I was fortunate. And then um, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian at one point, guys. Um, I, <laughs> I uh, came to the University of Florida, so I'm, I'm back home. It's crazy to be back here after all these years. And um, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian and then do music because like, we have this combination degree, which was very attractive. And I loved Florida. And um, I wasn't too far away from my parents. I came here uh, by chemistry. And um, I was practicing my bassoon more and doing more music stuff than studying for chemistry. It was my first D+. Plus. I, I'm going to admit that out. I was a straight-A student. And um, I... But no, I don't think I'm going to be able. I love animals, but not enough to suffer through chemistry, chemistry, <laughs> and more chemistry and more chemistry. And then I just, uh, I actually love teaching too. So I did music ed, and um, I switched over to music ed, and then did bassoon performance as well with that, and and just have been going, going, going since then, and and went on to get my master's, and my doctoral degrees in bassoon, and. And it has never been something I've ever regretted. And I've been really fortunate that like sort of my life path hasn't had too many stumbles. It's like being at the right place at the right time and and having like amazing supportive friends and family. And um, so I would consider myself like incredibly lucky and I, I wishes for everybody. And and so and now I'm back here I'm back in Gaines was crazy. It was I was in Georgia for a little bit um, after I, I got out of doctoral a school and oh guys I forgot to tell you this I was if I ramble on you guys edit right okay <laughs> I was working as a barista in Long Island as they say because I was it was going to doctoral school and so I got a part-time job to help help because didn't want to take a lot of student loans out and um I, when I finished my doctoral requirements, I just wasn't well suited for New York, Long Island. It was kind of, it was a great musical experience and I had an amazing teacher. Frank Morelli was just, oh, what an incredible uh, pedagogue, performer, and, you know, mentor. But um, I was happy when I was finished with all my requirements so I could get back down south because I miss my family too. Um, and so my, my husband came with me and I was transferred to West Palm Beach or Palm Beach Gardens to work mm. at the Barnes and Noble. Both of us were, were going to work there. And I was like, oh, we'll figure it out. Life will happen. And on the way on I-95, I got a call that a job was going to open up in South Georgia. Wow. And we zipped over through like the armpit of South Carolina and like down through the bowels of Georgia. And, 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 um, I met some people and they're like, okay, send me, send us your resume, a portfolio, whatever the usual stuff recordings. And we'll, we'll maybe consider, you know, listening to you. And then I worked at Barnes and Noble maybe for two weeks in the, as a barista in, in Palm Beach gardens. And then I got the call to come up and do the interview and it just all the stars in alignment. It just, felt like it was the right place, right time. And, Amazing. And, um, but I can still make a really good cup of coffee. <laughs> I mean, you know me too. So, but that was one thing. Like, I didn't even know. I was like, just, we were driving down and we were just going to work. It was like one of those things. As musicians were like, um, you know what? If you love it so much, you just kind of do what you need to do. And we were like, we'll play music on the side. We'll teach and something will work out. It's patience and perseverance. And I was one of those ones that it just worked out right away. I've got a two-parter. Okay. Um, so we're in Gainesville. Mm -hmm. So my first question is, if you could take one piece from the bassoon solo repertoire 
and throw it into the gator's mouth, never to be seen again. What piece would you throw into the swamp? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, gosh. Let me think about this one. Okay. Don't hate me, people, but the Hindemith bassoon sonata. Uh, I don't like that piece at all. I don't get the good moments. Oh, I'm probably going to be really, there's going to be a lot of shade thrown my way. But that's one that I'm like, meh. There's some good moments. My second question is, if all of the bassoon solo repertoire was thrown into the swamp, the the one piece that would be so worth saving that you would put your hand into a gator's mouth to rip it back oh. out, what piece would you choose? Yes. The Sanson. Sanson? Yeah. And I love the Hurlstone too. It'd be a t- I don't know. You'd put both hands in. I would put, I would put both hands for, the, for those. Yes, those two for sure. Both hands. Actually, I would put everything in there to grab those two. Because they mean so much to me. Really do. Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> Don't hate me, guys, for saying I hate on Hindemith. <laughs> Has there been anything particularly hilarious or embarrassing that has happened on stage? Yes. So I was um, in high school at State Solo and Ensemble and um, the festival, and I was playing solo day concert. I still remember that. My pianist was with me and I had my, all my buddies, my band buddies were in there and I was wearing a dress that it wasn't low cut, but I mean, it just, where it was, it was like right here. And I had leaned forward during the rests and the reed toppled down into my dress in the bra. (laughs) And I was, I was in ninth grade or 10th grade. I can't remember which year. And I just remember it, I was supposed to come back in and my pianist was, was looking over, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was, so, I was actually shy back then or on the shyer side, um, which I blossomed a, a, a lot since then. And, and I said, my reed fell down my chest. <laughs> and so I grabbed it and she's like, well, get it. And I grabbed it, put it on my bassoon and started playing. And everybody in the room erupted in laughter. Aww. It was so embarrassing to judge judge thought it was hilarious it was so funny apparently that i got the nickname treasure chest (laughs) i mean this is like maybe tmi but and i didn't know anything about you know i was so innocent and and i was like oh guys that's real funny treasure chest yeah Shannon, this has been a wonderful chat. Thanks so much for having us out to Florida Double Day. Yay! Yay. Go Gators! <laughs>